Reading from the book of Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Predictions. Biblical predictions. We've heard several of them today. And maybe they were hard to catch because they weren't of the doomsday variety. There was nothing about wars or rumors of wars, about the sky turning black, about famine, earthquake. These predictions are far more subdued, but no less biblical. These aren't end-of-the-world predictions. They are predictions about us, about people, about human nature. St. Paul knew human nature. He knew that we are drawn to hear what we want to hear, not always what we need to hear. The time is coming, he predicts in his letter to Timothy, when people will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. We tune in to news programs that report to us the slant of news we want to hear and then mock those with opposing views. We like the sportscasters who tell us that our teams were just a few bad breaks away from a championship, not the outside reporter who tells us they were always a mediocre team at best. We listen to preachers from our side of the theology street those who reinforce what we already believe. It's human nature. Paul's prediction that we would seek out those teachers who would say the things we want to hear was not a bold prediction at all. It was just a, an assessment of the way human nature is. The boldness was in telling the church that we, too, are just as susceptible at some point, 
somewhere along the way. Someone is going to teach you that following Jesus and living out His commands is optional for Christians. At some point, somewhere along the way, someone is going to teach you that a certain type of person is loved more by God than another of God's children. At some point, somewhere along the way, someone is going to tell you that a habit you've learned from the cultural mores is more important than a habit you've learned from Jesus' disciples. At some point, Somewhere along the way, someone is going to take the cost out of discipleship and make it just one more means to gain the end you're looking for. Don't. Paul says. Don't let your desire to hear the good news that your ears want to hear keep you from seeking out those who will give you the truly good news that your soul needs to hear. Even when it's tough to hear. The prophet Jeremiah was known to teach news that was tough to hear. But like any good prophet, he was not doing this on his own. He wasn't to blame for these tough words. He went around saying, God told him in the call, calling him when he was just a boy, don't say to me, God told Jeremiah, that I'm just a boy. For you shall go to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. See, today I appoint you, boy, over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and pull down to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I can tell you that Jeremiah is plucking up and pulling down. His destroying and overthrowing was not well received. He wasn't popular with those he spoke the truth to, especially those who were invested in keeping things the way they were and didn't like the fact that he was trying to overthrow the things as they liked them. There were persons who were increasingly happy with their increasing revenues that were received on the backs of underpaid slave-like workers and did not want anyone upsetting the apple cart. Jeremiah was resolute. If the apples are only going to the landowners and not to the planters and not to the pickers, then the cart needs to be upset. Greed will lead to destruction. An underclass will only stay under for so long. Injustice is never rewarded by God. And so began the exile. A time of grief when their homeland was destroyed as they were sent off to the land of Babylon. My guess is that prophets were always, are always tempted to say, I told you so. They build their case on, remember when that prophet told you and, and you didn't listen and those things happened? Remember what that prophet said and, and that prophet said and how you wouldn't hear it and then those things 
happened. My guess is that prophets are always tempted to say, you made your bed against all our warning, now you have to lie in it. While they were in exile, though, Jeremiah's message became quite different. The tearing down had already happened. The destruction was behind them. He didn't have to predict that anymore. It was time now to look to the other part of God's word through Jeremiah. Time to plant and time to build. Reverend Blackwelder told us last week that that Jeremiah's call was that we be faithful wherever we are, whether we're in exile or not. You don't have to be at home to be faithful. And this week, Jeremiah takes it a step further. The day is surely coming, he says, when we will be faithful, when we will be just, when we will live out these words that God has given us. These words, these gifts from God will move from page to heart, from knowing to living. A friend of mine told me recently how much he admires his mother. He said that she probably couldn't quote to you much scripture, but she lives it. That she loves more unconditionally than anyone he has ever met. Now, I know a lot of sons who would like to be able to say that their mothers are unconditionally loving. A lot of us need unconditionally loving mothers. All of us do. But he wasn't just talking about his relationship with his mother. He was speaking in a much broader sense than that. He said his mother loves the people who others love to hate. She lives out these words that that we could beat her with in a scripture-slinging contest, but that she lives. I look at Pope Francis, now he's become a rock star, quickly emerging on the scene and, and gaining the respect of people around the world, admiration from people who had written the church off and are now starting to give it a second look. For many, it happened on Monday, Thursday, when the Pope washed the feet of prisoners, including women, breaking with tradition to expand the gospel. Now, he could have taken to the pulpit and spoken his powerful and challenging words, which he has done ways since. But that day, as a means to authenticate his faith. He did what Jesus commands. He didn't just tell us what Jesus commands. Last Sunday, our eight-year-old son, Mac, told me that he had been thinking about how Jesus commands us to love God and love neighbor. And how... He said, if you love God, then then loving neighbor will take care of itself. I thought, that is so Methodist. 
It's like it's in the water. John Wesley said there is no holiness that is not social holiness. That we can't be holy if we're not together in this quest to be holy. And that that when we are seeking to be holy, we won't just be holy for ourselves, but we'll reach out and be holy in ways that stretch into the community, that, that call for justice, that call for peace, that call for well-being of everyone. If we love God, then loving our neighbor will take care of itself. It's very Methodist, but it's, it's not just Methodist. As Methodist understandings are, it's also very biblical. First John 4 says, Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from God is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Jesus Himself taught along these lines as He got up from kneeling at His disciples' feet, washing their feet. He said to them, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you also must love one another By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Truly, loving God means loving neighbors. Mac asked another insightful question this week. On Tuesday evening, we went over to the Help for Kids dedication of their facility where they pack food to send home with hungry children on the weekends. They were having a special dedication service of that place. We attended that, but it was pretty short, and as it ended, I noticed they were pulling out more bags and food to assemble and send home that weekend. I was standing on the side talking with someone when Matt came and stood beside me and looked up and said, shouldn't we do something? And the next thing I knew, he was at the table stuffing Pop-Tarts into those brown bags. Shouldn't we do something? That's a faithful response to this God who, who loves us. Yes, if, if we are to love God and neighbor, then we will do something. And that something will be born of this faith that we have been given, this faith that we've learned in the words of God and learned from the faithful teachers of the words of God. The days are surely coming when we will live the Scriptures not just know the Scriptures. When knowing the Scriptures will mean living the Scriptures. When we will celebrate more those who live them well than those who yell them well. The days are surely coming when God will lead us to build and to plant because the plucking up and the destroying days are behind us. I believe that those days Jeremiah saw coming are here, at least for this congregation. The days are here that we own our mission to follow Jesus by loving God and loving neighbor. 
The days are here when we recognize that loving neighbors means loving those who aren't yet part of our congregation and loving them enough to make space for them to come and be part of our congregation, to invite them in and not demand that they become the way we are in order to be part of our family, to expand ministries in such a way that they too can have God's law written on their hearts. So that they too can know and live the Scriptures. So that they too can know the Lord and loving God and loving neighbor will be what they too join us in doing. The days are surely here when we will reclaim that as our vision for ministry. The days are surely here when we not only ask, shouldn't we do something? But as Mac did when the final bags were put away. When we will also ask, when can we do it again? Those days are surely here. Thanks be to God. Amen.